I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers on KLCC. My guest today is Ron Green, the president and CEO of Oregon Pacific Bank. As one of the last remaining community banks in the state, Oregon Pacific works to provide a true relationship banking experience. Ron Green, the president and chief executive officer for Oregon Pacific Bank. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about Oregon Pacific Bank? Specifically, I'm sure most people know, but for for some audience members that don't, define what a community bank is. Well, absolutely. And thank you for asking about our bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we are one of now 14 remaining banks headquartered in the state of Oregon. Yeah. And community bank is a term probably, to be honest, is a term created by banks our size, Hmm. but is really truly defined as a small business that happens to be a bank. You know, we are local. Mm -hmm. We have offices in and around the Eugene, Douglas County, Lane County, uh, Coos County, Jackson County, and now in the Portland metro area. But our existence and our operation is solely focused on local. Yeah. And so none of the dollars that we take, we invest out of state. It's taken in and it's reinvested locally. Yeah. And and community doesn't necessarily mean small. You're a growing bank. I know you started on the coast in Florence, but Absolutely. you have a very big bank here in, in, in Eugene. And like you said, you're up in the in the Portland area as well. So it doesn't necessarily mean small. Well, it, it doesn't. But I would say on the scale of banks, okay. uh, we are small. Okay. We have okay. six offices. Sure, sure, sure. Look at banks. Even you know there are some fantastically operated uh, regional banks in this state. Uh, not to mention names, but they, they know who they are and they sure. do a great job. That that have hundreds and hundreds of branches. Yeah, we have six, so we are small. Local decision making. I imagine you know that. And I'm going to ask you sort of what is as you would define it. The secret sauce of Oregon Pacific Bank. Is that part of it, I imagine? Well, you know, absolutely. I would say any small business would say is that the people that own and have the, the investment in the organization are making the decisions. But I'd say our secret sauce is our ability to attract and retain exceptional people. Hmm. Uh, give them you know, some pretty clear expectations as far as what we want to accomplish, give them the authority to accomplish that and let them do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk a little bit about your team, maybe how, how, how you've assembled your team. And then, you know, again, talk about what attracts those bankers to Oregon Pacific, because obviously it's a very competitive industry. There's a lot of places that someone with banking skills can go. Why do they come to you? Well, I think they come to Oregon Pacific Bank just because the environment, we, we really preach fun. I mean, this, this is a job. There are responsibilities abilities or performance, but we want to have a good time and enjoy the team and the camaraderie. I think the local decision-making is part of it. You know, we've had success attracting bankers who have worked for larger banks who, again, I don't want to, you know, belittle or degrade those institutions. They're fine banks, but Mm -hmm. how they operate is just different. Decisions that are made from people out of state, out of the area, when they get to work, our employees closely with the decision maker, if they're not the decision maker, they're working right next to them. That is very, very appealing to mm-hmm. bankers, mostly because all they really want to do, or all bankers want to do is serve their clients. And if there, if there are things that are obstru- an obstruction to that because of process, that is frustrating for them. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine it, it's been such a crazy time these last few years yeah. you know you talk about the pandemic you talk about all of the economic pressures you know one thing i do know about community banks is while you have the technologies to be able to do remote banking and stuff a lot of it is the face-to-face interaction talk about how important that's been especially in very uncertain times well i think at times especially starting with the pandemic you mentioned you know there were businesses that really couldn't see past tomorrow what is the economic environment going to be and to know that they have an individual behind the bank leading the 
relationship that I, they can go to with questions, with needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's pretty powerful, mm-hmm. and that's really what is the driver of, of our business models. We lead with the people, and we lead with relationship first. Yes, the technology and all of that is important, and mm-hmm. it's really expected today. Sure. But without quality and competent uh, people to kind of be your advocate, if mm-hmm. you're a small business or a nonprofit, it's difficult to get what you need done. Yeah, I bet. Talk a little bit about perhaps, you know, the the specific industries that your your bank caters to, because I know a lot of times community banks have a certain niche they really like to play and talk about that. Yeah, well, I would say at the 30,000 foot level, I like to say that we help the businesses that create local jobs mm-hmm. and we help nonprofit organizations that create equality and justice for all. Okay. Uh, from a standpoint of those that are underserved. Mm. Um, but that could be varied industry and, and it can vary based on geography. Uh, our Roseburg office, as an example, caters quite heavily to the logging industry. There's a tremendous amount of logging and wood product services down there sure. in the Eugene Springfield area, uh, some technology, certainly medical services, uh, commercial real estate, uh, manufacturing, uh, generally just, you know, the, the businesses that create the jobs. But mm-hmm. I'd say, you know, our expertise lies in professional services for um, accountants, CPAs, manufacturing companies, uh, those types of businesses. Yeah, yeah. Talk about sort of the, uh, uh, um, the not shift, but but kind of the migration to Eugene. I mean, you started on the coast in Florence, I, I think 1979, 1979 is when, you, when yeah. you opened up. You know, kind of talk about sort of the, the growth pattern of your bank and then specifically about you know, coming and making sure that Eugene was a, a, a main place for you. Well, absolutely. And, and thank you for asking that. You know, 44 years ago, the bank started in Florence, as you mentioned, and it was really intentioned to be just a single branch bank. Hmm. Back then, I'm, I'm making an uh, educated guess, but I think within <laughs> about a 15 mile radius of Florence, there were probably 20 operating mills. Mm. And we know what occurred in the early 80s sure. with um, a lot of the environmental concerns that were going around with mm-hmm. with, the, with the owl and et cetera, that the wood products, uh, both primary and secondary industries, almost collapsed. Yeah. Well, the town of Florence really had to redefine itself, too. It was a, a burgeoning blue-collar community um, with good-paying jobs that literally, over the course of a three-year period, went away. Mm. Uh, it migrated and evolved into a, um, a retirement community. So the bank realized that if we want to grow, we want to continue to serve our community and create value for those we serve, we're going to have to expand the, expand beyond the borders of Florence. And that's what led to uh, our opening of an office in Coos Bay okay. and Roseburg. Similar kind of blue collar towns with a bit of a larger scale than yeah. Florence. Uh, but I will say, you know, we started an office in, in Eugene in 2015 mm-hmm. with a very, very small team who did a great job. Uh, we were at the right place at the right time. There was a exceptional community bank headquartered in, in Eugene, Pacific Continental Bank, mm-hmm. that was selling to Columbia a bank, a mm-hmm. fine regional bank, and a number of the bankers wanted to keep working for a small bank, and we just we were able to attract a very large and successful team from that bank, and our presence in Eugene quadrupled over the course of a 12-month period. Yeah, and I would imagine that 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 you know when like you just you just described when sort of banks merge or, or whatnot, there are probably a lot of people that say, well, you know what, I, I don't necessarily, and, and again, like you said, not disparaging a larger yeah. bank, but just this idea that, wait a second, you know, I really liked the way that worked and I want to stay in it. And that was obviously, you were able to attract those employees. Yeah, well, I think, you know, Pacific Continental Bank, who was an exceptional bank, mm-hmm. who grew from smaller than we are today to considerably larger, they had quality people with, uh, with incredible tenure, mm-hmm. and they got to live that environment of a community bank. And again, they were, I think, not at all a negative on who mm-hmm. their acquirer was, but sure. I think the writing was on the wall that how they will serve their clients is mm-hmm. going to become different than it was. And that was the concern for them. 
What makes a really good banker? I, I, I mean, obviously you have to know a business and you have to know the, the ins and outs of banking, but there's probably something else too, because it's, 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 is it fair to say it, it, it sometimes is, is, you know, you have to know a little bit about a lot of things? You know, that, that's a great question and a great point because as, as you as a banker focuses on certain industry, you have to have some in, industry insight, whether it be dental or manufacturing, uh, technology, uh, wood products. You have to understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I, to answer your question, what makes a good banker as an individual who is responsive and does what they say they will do. I think, you know, when a small business hears from a banker, yeah, I think we could make your loan. What the mm-hmm. small business person hears is, yes, we can make your loan. <laughs> and the banker's like, oh, I don't know what I, my authority is or mm-hmm. not. Uh, and they go p- talk to somebody behind the black box and it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. You need to follow through. You need to kind of create that confidence and that comfort that the small business is going to get um, from you what you say you will deliver. Yeah. And, you know, as we referenced earlier with some of these really uncertain times, I imagine sometimes, you know, uh, maybe the uh, one of the roles of banker is, is sort of psychologist or, or something like that because obviously, you know, especially for a small business where, again, like your phrase was very good, you don't know what tomorrow's going to look like and yeah. it might not even be tomorrow. So just in terms of helping a small business person navigate, you know, the entire loan structure, the PPP loans and stuff, yeah. it must have been just... Well, a, a, was it the, the craziest time you experienced as a banker? Well, certainly the craziest, and I will say the most rewarding hmm. as well. I've been in banking 34 years. Yeah. And to see small businesses, literally a dentist who calls me in tears and having to lay his staff off, who have mortgages and expenses on their own, families to feed, and what do I do? Um, it was a painful time. And to sure. see us be able to kind of step in, community banks in general, not just ourselves, mm-hmm. and do such wonderful things for the community. Um, but you know, I think largely too, yeah, the the ability to kind of just help out, be a part of that, um, it was it was a great time. I yeah. Just say, yeah. Was there a moment, maybe in like 2021 or 22, or even now in 2023, maybe when you got together with your team and you look back and you says, "Wow, I can't believe we got through that, but we did." Oh, I mean, uh, endless amount of times. Okay. I mean, I think constantly reviewing, you know, we, we, we are very proud of our involvement in sure. the PPP loan process and, the, and proud to be a community bank where I think, you know, smaller banks can have the greatest impact on small business. But it's something we talk about all the time mm-hmm. uh, because we want to not lose sight of both how we felt as people and as humans who uh, had an impact on the lives of these business owners and how uh, we helped with their success and their survivability. Yeah. So it's in the forefront of our minds all of the time. I bet. I bet. We're going to take a break. We're talking with Ron Green, the president and chief executive officer for Oregon Pacific Bank. We'll be right back. I'm Barbara Dellenbeck, host of KLCC's Oregon Grapevine. Lauren Kessler is an author of books, magazine articles, and essays. Her genre is described as narrative nonfiction. It's real people doing real things in real life, reported, but presented in a storytelling fashion. So it's fact with an overlay of story. Listen to perspectives on the value of insights and experiences learned through writing on KLCC's Oregon Grapevine at klcc.org. And we're back talking with Ron Green, the President and Chief Executive Officer of Oregon Pacific Bank. So talk a little bit about your career and, and, and how you got into banking. Well, you know, it's, it's a fun and funny story, and I think there are a number of us in the industry that use this term, but I am definitely an accidental banker. Hmm. I studied music in college. I had great aspirations of both being a professional musician and or a teacher, educator. 
um, and actually played professional trumpet for quite a while wow. in the late 80s and early 90s in the Portland market, okay. in Portland and Seattle. Um, but I had the ability to talk to people and to build relationships. And at the time, uh, a person in my life who, who isn't in my life now uh, <laughs> convinced me, hey, there is a job that, that always required was a college to, you know, a degree uh-huh. uh, for a bank management training program in 1989 in Portland. Hmm. And so I applied and um, yeah, it was just by accident really looking for a job. Okay. But it turned out to be a career and one that has been very, very fulfilling. And I think you know, banking's a very noble industry uh, sure. because we, we build a lot of value for those that we serve, but it's been enjoyable, you know, 34 years for me. As a musician, oftentimes, whether you're a member of a band or a solo act or something, you, you know, you're out there. I mean, you are on stage, yeah. people, you know, they're, they're, they're evaluating your talent, you, so on and so forth. Are there lessons that you learned as a professional musician that you take into your leadership role? Um, I'm thinking specifically about, you know, being authentic, but being also somebody sort of vulnerable in a way. Yeah, well, the authenticity is a, is a huge part of that. But mm-hmm. I, as a musician who has always been part of an ensemble or dependent upon others, I think the correlation for me is that you can't do this on your own. Mm-hmm. Any success that our organization has had, whether financially, socially, or other, or as an employer, is not because of me mm-hmm. individually. It's we have a team of people that work together, and it was the same thing in the world of musicianship. Uh, I couldn't make the band or the or the ensemble sound good on my own. I needed <laughs> to work together. Okay, um, you know, so a lot of similarities. Okay. Are you, do you still, is that, is that your outlet still to be, to, to play music? You know, it's, uh, I haven't taken the trumpet seriously for about 25 years. Really? And okay. up about, you know, a year and a half ago, I picked it back up. To mm. kind of, it's a very physical instrument. Okay. Um, and to kind of keep the physical demands, the regiment going. And so I've probably practiced more in the last year <laughs> than I have in the last 25 years combined. Uh, where I live on the coast and although I get to Eugene periodically, there's yeah. not a tremendous amount of opportunities to play, but a little bit. Okay. But I just enjoy having the instrument to my mouth and making music sure. and making a sound it, it is really it warms the heart and when I don't play for a period of time I recognize it's the piece that's missing from my soul interesting interesting so you mentioned you you still live in Florence on the yeah. coast and stuff so so your organization has become more far-flung than it's ever been as a leader you know h- how is it to kind of <laughs> to par- uh, allow me the parlance of music to keep the band playing the right notes you know and I realize of course there's technology that allows that but you know I mean it's it's not line of sight sometimes how does it kind of how do you have you built the structure to make sure that it all works well I think we, we pride ourselves on on successful internal communication um, you know people have to understand that what's expected of them they have to understand that they are appreciated and they, they know where they stand in the organization and as you mentioned technology as much as we all have loved the the zoom or teams <laughs> or whatever environment uh, application you use and it's a permanent part of our lives, there is nothing that replaces, in my opinion, face-to-face personal interaction. And we've, since since the pandemic, have kind of been focusing on how do we bring people back together because that's where the camaraderie and the team and and really the the love for each other and the love for the job and the love for the customers all comes from is being together. Yeah. Have Have you, in your work with clients, do you kind of counsel that as well? Because obviously there has been this sort of great return to some degree, but of course, 
work's changed a little bit. Yeah. I imagine there are clients that are still wrestling, and maybe you are too at the bank, of what's the, the perfect equation of in-person versus allowing the flexibility of remote and whatnot. Well, I think the answer is that we've, we all, whether ourselves or other businesses, need to be open-minded hmm. to what's necessary to, to achieve our goals. I'm of slightly older school and that I think that a team does well when they are in the same room. You can, mm -hmm. you can collaborate together if someone who's learning the job is training. That's a lot, a lot more effective if it's face-to-face -face, uh, than over a, a video conference call. But at the same time, you know, a younger generation has, is thriving on that very same platform. And who am I to say that that isn't successful when it's proven to be? Sure. So I think being mindful of that we need to communicate well, communicate clearly, but be open to however however that has to happen for it to work yeah yeah kind of pulling the lens back a little bit you know you're obviously uh, not only an advisor to clients but you're a re you're a you're a business resident of downtown Eugene and you know a lot of downtowns including Eugene are, mm -hmm. are sort of going through a little bit of a, a of a change where maybe not the same volume of workers are coming back yeah. but then there's also this idea of well okay do we need to rebalance a little bit maybe have more residential you know uh, type uh, 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 occupancy and so on and so forth. Kind of, what's your read on on how you see Eugene and Florence, if you want, and, and even Portland? You know, kind of, how do you see coming out of the pandemic and and sort of where we are right now in the in the in the, in the economic cycle? How do you kind of maybe forecast a little bit about about the, our downtown corridors? Well, I, I think there's a couple of pieces there I might pick sure. up a little bit. Of course, but I think the aspect of remote working. Um, you know, we. We made, I'd say, 75% of the workforce during the pandemic. We created the ability for them to work remotely, mostly out of necessity. Sure. We as an organization feel like that we're more effective if we're together. Mm -hmm. And so I think today out of 149 employees, we may have two or three that are permanently remote. Okay. And then 50 that have the capability of working remotely, but prefer to be in the office. Okay. So you mentioned downtown Eugene. Mm -hmm. uh, we have one employee in that all that office that works outside of the office. Mm -hmm. Everyone drives in. Everyone's provided parking mm -hmm. and you know parks downtown, walks in downtown, works in downtown. Mm -hmm. You know, downtown has its challenges, yep. as you know, uh, as we're sitting here right now, <laughs> um, and we're all working through that together. Yeah. Um, but you know, we as a bank that's kind of committed to the to the business and economic success of a community, we feel like we need to be in downtown. Okay. Okay. Um, we're in this interesting economic environment right now there's i i yeah, what, what's the old uh, cliche if you ask uh, uh, three economists their opinion or you'll get five opinions but right. certainly there's this are we heading to a recession are we not things look you know the labor the labor market is still incredibly tight you know interest rates are going up you know kind yeah. of you know not 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 to say become an economist here for a second but you know what is some of the counsel or what are some of the discussions you have with your team about how our local economy is is faring and where it might be going. Well, we, we all know that the largest percentage of our, of our GDP is what we, you and I and others, the consumers spend. Mm. And remarkably, when you look back at, let's say, the early 80s when interest rates climbed rapidly and much higher than they are now, consumer spending literally dropped off the map. Okay. That is not happening. People yeah. still, it's their God-given right to want to spend money, buy the <laughs> stuff that they want to have, mm -hmm. and we're doing that. Yeah. Uh, it is, so even though inflation has begun to soften a little, little bit, you know, we're seeing kind of core expenses like gas and groceries, it's still pretty expensive. Um, there, there's, you know, a varied opinion as to whether a recession is imminent or not. Mm. I think, honestly, the geopolitical environment that we're in right now in Israel and, and Palestine, um, 
does have an impact on what may come because I think certainly if Iran is drawn into that or, the, or Russia, sure. uh, we could have some significant issues uh, on the global economy. Yeah. But I think th there are probably more people forecasting now that we're not going to have a recession. I'm not going to suggest that we're not. Sure. But everything that would kind of, you know, outside of the inverted yield curve yeah. would tend to suggest that we're not going to have one. And if we do, it'd be pretty mild. Yeah, yeah. Um, advice to clients, just in terms of, you know, kind of... Uh, sort of not responding moment by moment, but just, you know, counsel about how best to maybe just view where we are and where we might be going. You know, yeah. what's what's the what's the posture, do you think, that, that probably is, if nothing else, the easiest to, to sleep at night, if not, if, if, for lack of a better phrase? Yeah. Well, I think the easiest response at times when there are challenges, especially when there is adversity or that's unknown, mm -hmm. is to retreat. Hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm from a fiscal standpoint, I'm pretty conservative. I like the idea of businesses preserving what cash that they have or mm -hmm. what borrowing ability. But at the same time, these situations create opportunity. Yeah. We're seeing a tremendous amount of, of wonderful people in the workforce that we've been able to hire. So, I mean, be, be smart, be mindful of the environment, but don't, don't retreat so far that you can't look down the road and think and think I wish I had taken advantage of that opportunity to hire that person or to open up that store or to change my product line or do something with you know with some of the liquidity that you have uh, be cautious but be mindful that we want to take advantage of opportunity as well sure sure how has the labor market affected you all? It's such a tight labor market or, or your clients, you know, kind of, uh, that's always a difficult one because obviously there's, you know, the, the employees are in the driver's seat. They, they have a lot of choices, you know, kind of what are some counsel you give to, to your clients about maybe, you know, making sure that they're, they're in the best position to attract a, 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 a solid employee when one comes along? Yeah. Well, I think the, the question would be for our customers and we ask ourselves the same question is, identify what our needs are for mm -hmm. employees and does that need align with the supply of, of people and if the supply and the type of people that are out there if it's misaligned you have to ask yourself what do i need to do differently to ensure that they are aligned whether that be work conditions uh creativity with a remote environment or an in-place environment you know really the need um i i'm not of the mindset that you know, we create the job, you'll do what we say. Hmm. Um, and there's there are some markets where there that feels that way just because the equilibrium is off. Okay. But this is a, even though in the last three years especially have been kind of employee centric as far as the job environment, you know, this is not just a transaction. Yeah. This is a, a long-term relationship, a long-term hopeful dance between the employer and the employee that we want it to be a win-win. Yeah. But I think, you know, the advice of small businesses, uh, recognize what you have to do within the confines and the reasonability of your business model to attract and retain the best people. Yeah. You know, we talked about the, 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 the nomenclature of community bank. Let's talk about that word community for a second, because obviously, you know, and again, not to disparage larger banks, but chances are they're not maybe doing the same in-community type of service that a community bank does. Talk about your team and how they, you know, it's it's really kind of part of the DNA, isn't it? Well, it is. You know, we internally, we we look to how we can create value for four pillars uh, and the community is part of that pillar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I feel very strongly and passionately that we have... Uh, we're in an environment, let's just say with Eugene Springfield, but all the markets that we serve, where that community creates opportunity for us hmm. financially for the value of our of our ownership, uh, for how we 
uh, retain capital for reinvestment purposes. So we have a responsibility. And, and so we ask, how do we create value for our customers, for those that own us, for the community, and for the employee? And is it a kind of a win-win-win-win across the board as best as we can? Um, Again, I, I think the idea of just that that recognizing that need for that is super important. You know, we want to encourage our employees, you know, on the job while they're being paid, go out and volunteer. Let's go out and find organizations that could use someone with your expertise, whether it's finance or marketing, and leverage that with a nonprofit who can really help others that are underserved. Okay. So we, we make it part of our DNA, our culture, that, you know, volunteering, both at the volunteering level and the philanthropy level of monetary giving, both personally and the company, is an important part of it what we do because uh, it's just almost not because we like it we do like it and it, not because we have to but it's a responsibility mm, it's yeah. part of the cycle of how we how we exist both financially and socially yeah yeah well Ron my last question for you and, and answer this to whatever level of specificity you want but you know you, you've been expanding you've been growing what do you think for Oregon Pacific Bank the next three to five years may look like well you know we are we are bred to be an Oregon bank. Okay. It's it's in our name. Mm-hmm. Indeed it is. <laughs> uh, Oregon Pacific Bank. Yeah. So, you know, we have, I think, the, with the goal and the aspiration of being the, the preeminent um, community-based bank that serves businesses and nonprofit organizations throughout the state. Um, you know, our, our operations are very, very boutique-like. Hmm. We're not there. We can't be everything to everybody. We don't have the resources to do that. But okay. we can hire a small, uh, very focused, select group of people who can target certain industries and, and where they can create the greatest value and do that well and efficiently. Um, you know, we want to continue to grow. We want to continue br- to bring the culture and the success that we've had to throughout the state as best as we can. Um, you know, right now we have our hands full with <laughs> Portland, uh, you know, Eugene, Sure. Coos Bay, Roseburg, Medford, and Florence. And that's good enough. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, thanks so much. Ron Green, the uh, President and Chief Executive Officer for Oregon Pacific Bank. Really appreciate you coming in and talking to us. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. That was our conversation with Ron Green of Oregon Pacific Bank. From its humble beginnings on the coast, the bank is growing to serve a diverse community. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening.